Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel. It's great to have you here this morning. A couple of announcements to uh, start our service off with this morning. First of all, if you look in your bulletin, you can see the, the 12 months of serving insert. You can give this to someone. Take this and give this to someone so that they know what's going on, where they can bring their items to donate uh, as far as the winter needs drive goes. And uh, has all the information there as well as the different locations. Uh, Word of Life Chapel, Lamb Pro, Doughboys, and Hornung's Hardware right now are the locations where you can drop off your winter needs items. Uh, this Saturday, January 12th at 5 p.m., there's going to be a showing of Jonah in the fellowship hall. Not only is there going to be a showing of Jonah, there's also going to be soup, chili, and cornbread. So uh, if, if you're not, Jonah's not really your thing, but soup and chili are, you're going to have a great time. And if soup and chili aren't your thing, but you enjoy uh, sight and sound, please come out. It's going to be a great time. Uh, another announcement, the Parsonage roof needs replaced. Uh, the Board of Deacons is recommending using LVC in Millersburg. Uh, the numbers are in there. There was a second estimate, and there will be a member's vote on Sunday, January 20th. Would you pray with me as we begin our service this morning? Gracious God, we are so thankful for another day that we can gather together. Lord, your love for us, it knows no limits. It's beyond our comprehension. And Father, we are thankful for that love. And, and Lord, as we celebrate communion, as we remember what was done on the cross, we celebrate the new life that we have been given through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be grateful. May our hearts be filled, Father, with, with reverence, with respect, and Lord, with joy for the new life that we have. In Jesus' name we pray.
right, let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, welcome those around you to our service this morning. Good job, good job. I could hear all those thoughts as you were holding those notes, thinking all those together this morning. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, fall on your grace, hear the joyful sound of our offering. As your saints bow down, as your people sing, we will rise with you lifted on your wings, and the world will see. Savior, to call on your grace, 
the joyful sounds of our offering As your saints bow down, as your people sing We will rise with you, lifted on your wings And the world will see that in our God into this new year, and today we talk about a couple of different, different new things. May we remember how we are new in Christ. The old is gone, the new is come.
resurrected King is resurrected In your name I come alive to declare your victory The resurrected King is resurrected me By your spirit I will rise from the ashes announcement to make regarding um, prayer, and uh, Nancy is, of course, on our prayer list, but we do need to keep Nancy Wilbert uh, before uh, the Lord. She is making progress. Um, it might appear slow to some, but um, little things are big things, and so she's uh, able to eat on her own. Of course, it's soft apple sauces and those kinds of things, but she uses her left hand with a spoon and is able to feed herself. Um, she laughs. Um, I don't know if you know the laugh of Nancy. Um, there's that wonderful sound when she laughs, and um, we're hearing that once again. Not able to speak, but um, we're going to take the laughter at this point. Very, uh, very responsive as well. Uh, she shakes her head yes, and Shakes her head no. I don't know if you know her hand gestures. Oftentimes she would go, does that look like Nancy? I mean, I don't look like Nancy, but I, I mean, she'll, and she'll do that with her left hand. Again, her right side is not, you know, it's not moving, but she'll go like this, and she does it often, and it's just good to see the progress that, that she's making. Tim thought she would remain probably um, on floor five in the Harrisburg Hospital, five, five, eight. Uh, for a couple of weeks. The um, therapy that she's in is not aggressive, he said. Um, I guess that will take place once she moves uh, over to the old osteopathic hospital, and there she's going to be in rehabilitation, and we don't know how long that will uh, take place, but 
um, some good progress, and uh, we thank the Lord for, for answering prayers. Father, as we pause for a few moments before you this morning in prayer, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that you have granted to your children. And that is, Lord, at any time, any place, in any situation, Lord, we can come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace. Father, we are thankful for your love to us, that you, Lord, you have shown us wonderful love in bringing about salvation and hope found in Jesus and his death and shedding of his blood on the cross. To be your children, Lord, is a wonderful thing. To be in your family. <coughs> Father, I do pray this morning for Nancy. Father, one of our own. She did experience something quite severe. But Father, you're moving. You're working. You're bringing about changes, and we thank you for that. Father, would you encourage Tim and Nancy and family members in the progress that she's making? We pray, Lord, that the therapy would do its job, and we pray, Lord, that this laughter would soon turn into speech. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. This is your time. This is your day. And Father, we come before you asking you, Lord, to do a great and mighty work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us at hymn number 560, Another Year is Dawning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing this hymn, 560, then those in junior church can be dismissed. 560. <laughs>
I suppose we all love new things. We now have entered into a new year. We enjoy new things like cell phones, new TVs, new toys, new houses, new cars, new clothing. The idea of a vacation is exciting because we expect to see new places, maybe experience new things. But have you ever noticed how quickly new things become old? All of a sudden, here we are, a week into the year. Doesn't seem like a new year anymore. The newness of most things is only temporary. Unless God says they're new, when God creates new, it doesn't change. It's always new. And so this morning, we want to look at three things that God calls new. Three things that will not change. One is past, one is present, and one is still future. In Jeremiah chapter 33, we read of a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah writes this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. <coughs> Again, I apologize for running to the water. <clears throat> But it's going to be a bit necessary this morning. This prophecy of Jeremiah's is probably his best known prophecy. The prophecy of a new covenant. A covenant being an agreement. A covenant being a promise. When you entered into marriage, you entered into a marriage covenant. You said for better, for worse for richer, for poorer, until death parts you. And then you said, I do. And then your spouse or husband or wife also said, I do. You entered into a covenant. A covenant is something between two parties, agreeing on something. We have in this text, Jeremiah stating that a new covenant is coming. If there's a new covenant coming, that means there was an old one. <clears throat> what was that? The Bible says that God gave to Moses the law. He established with Moses an old covenant. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, there he received the tablets of stone, written with the very finger of God. The law in the Old Testament was much more than Ten Commandments. The law was more extensive than that. And God said to Moses, you go to the people and you tell them that if they obey my law, they will be blessed. On the other hand, if they disobey my law, then they will be cursed. Israel said, we do. But they didn't. <laughs> Initially, they said, we will obey your law. But before the ink was even dry on the old covenant, they failed. When Moses comes down out of Mount Sinai, carrying the tablets of stone, he sees the Israelites already creating a golden calf. 
They said, Moses, he delays. He's away too long. And so they started building already an idol, bowing down to this calf. A covenant is two-sided. God said, I do. Israel said, I do, but they didn't. God did his part, but the people, they failed in keeping the law. And that's the history of Israel. One failure after another, after another, after another. Now, let's be honest. There is no one in this room that can keep the law of God. The law was not given to be kept. God knew that it could not be kept. The law, what it did was it pointed out sin. It showed people that they were all lawbreakers. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. James tells us that if you offend in one point, one point, you fail with one law, you fail to keep one commandment, and you are a lawbreaker. You are a lawbreaker. But Jeremiah says the days are coming. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant. The old covenant will remain in effect until the inauguration of this new one. And it's not only as you read here to Israel and Judah. When we come into the New Testament, we also have this new covenant proclaimed. You know, the word testament really is the word covenant. We have an old testament, an old covenant, but we have a new testament, a new covenant. The old and the new. So what are the differences? Well, look at Jeremiah 31, 32. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now look, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. One of the differences is between the old and the new is that the old is conditional, the new is unconditional. God said in the Old Testament, I will if you do this. Now we come to the New Testament and God says, I will. I will put my law in your minds. I will write it on your hearts. I will be your God. It's one-sided. The old covenant is two-sided. If you do this, I will do this. God in the new says, I will do this for you. The second difference is that the law now is internal. It's not external. It's not written on stone. It's not demanding obedience or you'll be cursed. Now, we under the new covenant... Living in this age of grace, God says, I will love you and nothing will separate you from my love. 
and we, not out of duty, not out of fear, as they did in the Old Testament, we, out of love for God, and what Christ did for us on the cross, we are more than willing to obey our God. And so in Romans chapter 6, it says we're not under law, but we're under grace. In John chapter 1, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This new covenant was fulfilled by the coming of Messiah. When Jesus came to earth, this covenant was fulfilled. The old has gone, the new has come. And it's based on faith. We are saved by grace, and we're saved through faith. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says these words, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, so that no one can boast. We now, living in this new age, this age of grace under the new covenant, we are saved by grace. And the results of that is that now we become a new creation, which leads us to point number two. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read of this new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. The Bible speaks of us who put our faith in Christ, living in this age of grace. The Bible speaks of us being reborn, born of God's Spirit, being recreated. I heard a cute description of a caterpillar, a little child. She said, caterpillar is a worm in a fur coat. A worm in a fur coat. A great change takes place between caterpillar and butterfly. A metamorphosis. That same word is found in the New Testament. Metaphor a'o, which simply means to transform. This great transformation that takes place between caterpillar and butterfly is greatly increased when it comes to the changes that takes place within the life of a Christian. Christians are never the same. They're not merely reformed. They're not rehabilitated. But the Bible says that we have been recreated. That at conversion, we're not merely turning over a new leaf but we are beginning a whole new life under a new master. I don't believe we realize the change that takes place in the life of a child of God's, the transformation, the dramatic change from darkness to light. 
His name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees had no time for Jesus. Jesus said things like, Woe to the Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchers. On the outside you might look good, but on the inside you are like dead men's bones. Jesus spoke harshly of the Pharisees. But this man by the name of Nicodemus, he was different. We don't know if he heard a sermon through the lips of Jesus, if he met him before. But this Pharisee, he goes to see Jesus under the cover of darkness. He certainly does not want to be seen by his fellow Pharisees. And so he sneaks after dark to see Jesus. Jesus being the Son of God, he knows what this man has come for. And so Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you cannot enter my kingdom unless you are born again. Nicodemus, he of course is thinking of the physical. He starts to think through what Jesus just said. And he says, but Jesus, that's impossible. There is, there's no way that a man who's been already born can now somehow return back into his mother's womb. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, we're not in the same realm right now. You're thinking physical. I'm thinking spiritual. No, you must be born of God's spirit, Nicodemus. If you want to enter into my kingdom, if you want to go to my heaven, then you must. And this is a necessity. He says, Jesus says there, there are no exceptions to this. There is no other way. Nicodemus, if you want to go to my heaven and be in my kingdom, then you must be born again. You see, the new birth is necessary in order to go to God's heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, and there is no other way. You know, I know there are religions out there that teach other things, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and that mankind must be, no exceptions. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. again. So why is this new birth, why is this creation, why is it so necessary? Why does Jesus say every person must be born of God's spirit? The reason is we're dead spiritually. When mankind comes into this world, we are spiritually dead. And Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
Paul is saying that mankind, each person, is dead spiritually, dead in sin, dead in transgressions, with no spiritual life in them. That's why the necessity of being recreated, of being born again, because we're dead. And just as we needed to be brought into this world physically, we need a spiritual rebirth. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and he says that emphatically. Nicodemus, you want to see my kingdom? You want to go to my heaven? Then Nicodemus, there is no other way. This old covenant that you're under, the law, forget it. You must now be born of my spirit. And this is a description, these verses that I just read, of our past moral and spiritual condition. Being dead, no life. But we need life. We need spiritual life. We need to be born again. You must be born again. Otherwise, to die in your trespasses and sins is to be separated from God throughout all eternity. See, not only are we separated from God in this life before salvation, but if we never trust Christ, then we're separated throughout all eternity from God himself. January, according to uh, statistics, tells us that most people, they attempt to make changes this time of year. Um, it's tradition of course, to make resolutions, and I uh, suppose if we were to ask for many of you would uh, raise your hand and say, I, I plan to do this, or I plan not to do this. Uh, maybe you're planning to eat better, or exercise more, or maybe spend a little less money. Being in Christ, as we read in Ephesians 1, being in Christ, it's starting out on a whole new beginning. Your life begins, your spiritual life, at that moment of conversion. It's at that moment when the old has gone and the new has come. And God creates in you a new heart. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't always the Apostle. As a matter of fact, there was a day when he was Saul of Tarsus. He grew up under the old covenant. He was a legalist, loved the law, loved all its traditions. And because of that, he hated, he hated Christians. He hated those who put their faith in Christ. And Paul was one who actually would arrest, he would persecute, he would kill Christians. And never lose a night of sleep. He hated the people of God, those who were followers of Christ. But one day on the road to Damascus, the very road that he was traveling to get to a place where he could do more of what he loved to do, persecute those who were followers of Christ, he was struck down. He saw on that road the resurrected Christ. And on that road, he had a conversion experience. And the Bible says he was changed from darkness to light. 
and this hater of Christians became himself a Christian. This one who persecuted now became a preacher. His hate turned to love. Because on that road, in that moment, Paul was converted and trusted Jesus Christ. And for Paul at that moment, the old has gone and the new has come. His life began, his spiritual life at conversion. There's a new covenant, there's a new creation. But the Bible speaks of the future. It speaks of a new heaven and a new earth back in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, the very first verse, it says this. John, by the way, is writing. John the Apostle. He's on an island called Patmos. And he says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Jeremiah said, They will be my people back in chapter 31 of his book. And here we read, these are the people of God. He speaks of this new city. The new has come, the old has gone. Not only does God in the business of transforming people, but God also wants to transform his creation. Creation today is groaning. It's groaning. But here we read of a new and holy city, which apparently will be the, the center of the universe, the, the home of the redeemed. A lot more we could say about this city that comes down out of heaven, but for now, let's just leave it at that. The center of the universe, the home of the redeemed, and God is redeeming creation and will redeem creation. Rescuing, rescuing creation from sin's curse. When God cursed back in the book of Genesis, it was not only mankind that now would come into the world and be dead in trespasses and sins, but the creation itself now is under the curse of sin. But the day is coming when God will redeem creation. And things will be restored like they were in the Garden of Eden. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Here's that place. This holy city. This new Jerusalem. It's a perfect place. A perfect place characterized by the absence of sin. But not only the absence of sin, but the absence of sin's effect. You know, I could hardly imagine a place that is sinless. And yet this is a holy city. A holy, holy 
city. Further down in this same chapter, it says in verse 27, that nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. This is a pure city, a holy city. You know, the other day, it was interesting, my wife and I, as she leaves, uh, don't look at her, she does not like to be watched. <laughs> interesting, I should tell this story just as she gets up to leave with her cough. You know, it's funny this morning, so many of you guys gave me cough drops. Someone gave me sanitizer. I got pocket full of stuff. I should have given her one of my cough drops, but she told me she's probably going to leave because she, you know, I, I love to share with her all my things and, well, my cough. And, but we were driving to Miller through Millersburg the other day, and, um, you know, sometimes we just kind of um, get a bit... Um, Oh, what's the word? You want to go back. You kind of think about things in your past. You know, old places, it's nostalgic. You, 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 uh, you know, want to see this, and you remember, oh, don't you remember this over here? You remember this? And so we drove up Light Street. Now, I was born and raised on Light Street up in the Heights, but all the way up at the end, there's a home that um, when we got married, and, and Mike and Tim were these little guys, we had Harry Lizai build us a house up on the very corner of Light Street. And we lived there for about six years, thinking this is where we would live and retire. And I mean, the, you know, and then all of a sudden, God in 1979 says, no, no. <laughs> he smiles and changes all the plans that you've ever made and changes everything. And we go to Lancaster, and the, uh, you know, the story is a bit longer. But um, that was the house we were going to live in and retire in. Raise our children in. And it didn't work. God said, no, no. So we drove up to the very corner of Light Street. In 1979, when we moved to Lancaster, I remember going out under the disguise of darkness. I'm not sure why I did that. And I put a for sale sign by owner out front. And I pounded it in the ground. You might know the realtors. JCT, John C. Troutman. We sold it to him 40 years ago. Now, that's a story in itself because it was like at the very last minute when we were going to Lancaster. We already bought a house in Lancaster and we still own this one. At the very last minute, John bought the house. We thought he wanted to buy it to sell, but he lived in it. I assume for 40 years because we went up. There was a for sale sign out front, JCT, after 40 years. And so we went on the website, you know, and we wanted to see the inside and what it looked like after 40 years that we haven't been there. And, oh, don't you remember this? Oh, my goodness, it's the same yellow tiles in this bathroom. And, and then upstairs, we left it undone. And I paneled, you know, the walls. I'm not a carpenter by any means, but I, I put up paneling myself. And, and I remember my little boys were there, Mike and Tim, like maybe three and four years of age. And have a circular saw. And I'm cutting this paneling, trying to keep the edge straight. And saw dust is gone everywhere. And Tim said to me, Daddy, there won't be any saws in heaven. They make too much dirt. <laughs> As I read this verse, I thought of looking at those pictures of the paneling on the wall. Nothing impure. The Bible says this is a holy 
city. But not only is it sin-free, but there's the absence of even sin's effects. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 4 of chapter 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. There's a day coming when we're going to be living in this holy city. Not only will there be the absence of sin, but even the absence of the effects of sin. The absence of the effects of sin. I can't imagine that world. I can't imagine a world in which the negative impact of sin has been eliminated forever. The curse has been lifted. Creation has been redeemed. There's no more groaning. How many tears have been spilled because of the effects of sin? How often have hearts been broken because of the impact of sin? But not in this day. There's a coming world in which there will be no cemetery again. One day after Christ has returned, there will never again be a funeral service. Some professions will no longer be necessary. Mortuaries will be out of business. No undertaker will ever be needed again. There will be no sleepless nights as mothers watch over their sick babies. Hospitals will no longer exist. Physicians and surgeons will, never, uh, will cease to exist as a profession. We won't require nurses or physical therapists. There will never again be a broken heart because we are compelled to say goodbye to a beloved mother or a saintly father. Those who manufacture facial tissues will go out of business because there will be no more tears. These are the, are the result of sin in the world, and sin shall have been removed. What a world it will be when the old order of things has passed away. And God says here in verse 5, I am making everything new. We started this morning, we said Jeremiah, he spoke of new things to come. We spoke about becoming a new creation. And here it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth and a holy city. But none of this would be possible without the coming of Jesus. When Jesus came, he made all things possible. And so we, this morning, we end with point four, a new communion. It was during a Passover meal that Jesus reclined at the table with his disciples. It was on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. And it was on that night that Jesus claimed that he was going to fulfill all of these promises of the new covenant. And they do. 
they all find their fulfillment in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, and I conclude with reading this and just making a few comments. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, very familiar passage that we read oftentimes at communion. In verse 25, it says this, 1 Corinthians 11, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. After the Passover, they had eaten the lamb. They had eaten the unleavened bread. Jesus takes the cup of wine. And he lifts that cup of wine. And he makes reference to the very prophecy of Jeremiah. And Jesus, as he lifts that cup, he lets it be known that the new has now come. That his death and his blood is now going to replace all of those Old Testament sacrifices. That what the blood of the bulls and goats could not do, that Jesus' blood was able to do. When Jesus lifted that cup, he was announcing that his death on the cross will now usher in this new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of years and years ago. And Jesus confirms the new now has come. And he seals it with his blood. And he institutes a new supper, a new communion. The Passover now is over. Now we celebrate the Lord's Supper, a new communion a memorial supper. And so this morning, we're going to, in a few moments, partake of the elements around this table. And as we do, we need to remember Jesus, his person and his work on the cross, that it was at this time, at a Passover meal, that Jesus instituted what we do this morning. It didn't begin until that day on the night in which he was betrayed. And when he lifted that cup, he said, the old now is gone. The new has now come. Let's stand and sing, and then we're going to partake of our communion service. Would you stand with me? Hymn number 236. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Let's sing this together. On a hill far away Thank you. 
jump to down to stanza four. Let's sing stanza four. To the old rugged cross. To the old rugged you may be seated. Communion is a time in which we remember. That's one of the key words when we come to communion. We remember what Jesus did for us. Uh, in a few moments, the bread cubes will be uh, passed to you. The bread is a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a reminder of his body that was broken for us. Uh, the cup filled with grape juice um, is a reminder of the shed blood of Jesus that the blood is for the remission of sins, that we can only be forgiven of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the men in a few moments to come forward, and uh, they'll be passing to you the plates. Please hold uh, both the cup and the bread until everyone has been served, and then when they return to the front, uh, we'll eat and we'll drink together. This is a time of celebration. This is a time when the children of God remember the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on that old, old rugged cross. <coughs> and so if you would join me, please, at the front. <coughs> we, of course, we start with the bread. And as I indicated, please hold uh, the bread until everyone has been served and the men join me at the front. Father, we thank you for your body, the willingness, Lord, of you to lay down your life for mankind. Father, the suffering, the wounds, Lord, should be done to no man. <coughs> but God so loved us that Jesus came into our world to save us from our sins. Father, we're grateful this morning and thankful for that work of your Son on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.
The body represents, or the bread represents the body of Jesus, the body that was wounded for mankind. Let's eat together. Father, it's your blood that cleanses us from all sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so again, we thank you, Lord, for the willingness of Jesus to die there on that old rugged cross and spill his blood, Lord, that we might have life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Bible says as Jesus was reclining at the table, he took the cup and he looked at his disciples and said, drink ye all of it. Let's drink together. Now, Father, we thank you again, and our hearts are filled with gratitude for what you've done on our behalf. Fathers, we go from this place as new creations, as those, Lord, who have been transformed and changed. Father, may the light of Jesus shine through us. May we reflect the person of Christ. In all we do, in Jesus' name, amen. As our men are making their way to the pew, I'll ask that you stand with me, and um, let's turn to hymn number 232. Hymn number 232, I Hear the Savior Say. <clears throat> I hear the Savior say, strength indeed is small, the weakness watch and pray, and in me thy all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, left the crimson stain, paid it all to him I owe sin the crimson stain he washed <clears throat> for nothing good have I the blood paid it all to him I owe I left the crimson stain he washed and when before the throne stand
Father, we do owe you our very lives, for Father, you have given yours on our behalf. So Lord, as we leave here this morning, Lord, help us to do what needs to be done, to bring people to yourself. Help us, Lord, to grow. Help us to continue, Lord, to reflect your glory and your light in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so confused.